You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. We're going to be looking into the book of Habakkuk. If you've never heard of this book, you can be excused for that. It's three chapters right at the very end of the Old Testament. You may have read it during one of your Bible reading plans, and you just kind of zoom through it. So essentially, you get to the book of Matthew and start turning left. You're going to run into it, okay? If you're not flipping to it, though, we'll have the text on the screen. And today, we're going to be looking at the beginning of Habakkuk, looking at this idea, the gift of doubt. The whole title of this series is Finding Faith, and that's the journey that Habakkuk is on. As he's looking at the world, he's exploring what God is doing, he's wrestling with challenges and difficulty, and he's searching for answers. He is saying that there must be something better than this present circumstance I find myself in, and he's seeking and looking for hope and help. And maybe you have been in the same boat as Habakkuk. Maybe you've had questions for God. That if we're honest, we've had questions, and I'm not talking about questions like, why is the sky blue? Or God, why did we not exist with dinosaurs? I mean, those are questions, but they're not really important questions, right? No, we've thought about the hard questions that we would like to ask God one day, that we would desire an answer on. Hard questions like, why do you allow evil to happen in this world? Challenging questions like, why do bad things happen to good people or to innocent people? You see, I recognize that as we live in this world, that you and I have asked these questions over the course of our existence. Maybe some of you would say that you've never doubted at all, and and that's okay. But I think that for most of us, we would simply say that we have asked these questions of God in the still of the morning, in the quiet of the night, we have asked God, what is the point of all this? We can relate to those who've been in tough experiences that make them question and doubt God because we've done the same thing. Now, you might hear this word doubt and you think, well, isn't doubt a bad thing? I mean, isn't that something we should shy away from as believers? And I would be here to tell you that no. I believe the scriptures are clear that doubt itself is not a bad thing. In fact, some of the people that we trace our theological heritage to as Baptists are the Puritans, and the Puritans actually welcomed doubt. Do you know why? The Puritans said doubt is good because it forces us to look at God and once again ask Him to reveal Himself to us. You see, doubt can be a very good thing for us. Here's the bottom line. Here's what you need to understand about doubt in our sermon today. Doubt can either lead us to faith in God, or it can lead us to flee from God. Doubt can lead us to faith in God, or it can lead us to flee from God. Habakkuk understands this truth. And as we look at this section of Scripture, we're going to see his guidance and his wisdom that he expresses on this. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, I want you to write down our first point that we're going to look at present circumstances. Present circumstances. Look with me at verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. I want you to hit pause right there. 
What is this oracle that he saw? What is this present circumstances? You see, before we can begin to understand Habakkuk's problems, we first have to know the context of his day and time. What is it he's dealing with? Why is he coming to God with his questions and concerns? Now, this time period in history, it's a few hundred years after the time of King David. You may be familiar with his story. David was one of the most prosperous kings of the Old Testament. Israel was thriving under his leadership. Things were going well. David dies and his son Solomon takes the throne. And underneath Solomon, Israel continues to do well. The temple is built. Things are going great for the people of God. And then Solomon dies. And Solomon's sons begin to bicker and argue and fight over who's going to be the next king. And things just begin to go downhill. Israel has king after king that is ungodly, that doesn't love the Lord, and they are just living life with reckless abandon. In fact, it doesn't take very long for Israel to completely fall apart. Israel actually splits into two countries. We have Israel in the north and we have Judah in the south, and they're at war with one another and there's constant turmoil and battles. And then shortly after that, Israel gets swept away by the Babylonians and Judah is left alone, falling more and more into idolatry. Hundreds of years pass. Hundreds of years pass and just things are getting worse and worse. And into this moment steps a young man named Josiah. Josiah becomes king at eight years old. I don't know if you have small children, but I'm thinking my kids are 10 and 6. And any country that they become king or queen over is going to be really cool for like a day or two. And then things are just going downhill, right? Like there's no way this ends well. Except in this case, things begin to change. As Josiah lives and grows, when he hits 16, he begins to devote himself completely and totally to the Lord. He begins to lead reforms across Judah and things begin to change. He has all these idols and temples to other gods torn down. He, as he's trying to rediscover what God is doing in his world, he has the temple rebuilt. And in that process, they find the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And it leads to an awakening in Israel. Josiah and the chief priests fall down weeping before the Lord. The people of Israel begin to worship God again, and things are changing for the better. And of course, as things start to get better, difficulties and hardships come yet again. You see, at this time, Judah is just a very small, weak nation in this area. It's not a very large nation. It's surrounded by what are some superpowers in that world. You've got the Assyrians right there beside them. You've got the Babylonians to them to the east, and then you have Egypt to the south. They're surrounded by what we know historically are some of the strongest powers in that area and that era. Judah gets caught right in the middle of their turmoil and problems. Egypt decides one day that they would like to go fight the Assyrians to the north of Judah, and they come to Josiah and say, hey, we're going to pass through your land. And Josiah says, no. You're not going to pass through our land. And Egypt says, well, stop us. And they begin to bring their army up through Judah. 
And Josiah, being the good king that he is, this man after God's own heart, like his ancestor David, says, you know, I have to protect God's land. I have to protect his people. He begins to meet the armies of Egypt in battle. And being a good king, he joins his forces in battle, and he says, I will fight for God and country. And in this battle, Josiah is killed. Josiah dies. And Egypt takes its armies straight through to the north, does what they're going to do in Assyria. And Josiah's sons are left to take the throne. And unfortunately, his sons are not up to the task of leading, of shepherding God's people. Things begin to fall apart yet again. Brokenness comes back into the land. The idols and their temples are restored and everything's falling apart. And into this moment we have Habakkuk writing these words. He's writing these words to God and to us. You see, Habakkuk, he's a prophet. He's a man of God who's been called, who's been sent out to show the people of God their wayward ways, to call them back to God. He has spent perhaps years of his life ministering to God's people, proclaiming this message of hope and redemption that one day God is going to make things right again. He's prayed for years for things to change. And right when they're on the cusp of revival, right when things are going to change for the better, when they'll change forever, it all falls apart and then gets worse. Maybe you can empathize with Habakkuk here. Because Habakkuk doesn't begin to have these doubts in a vacuum. No, his present circumstances lead him to begin to doubt and to wrestle with who God is and what he's doing in this world. You and I can empathize with that. Because if things begin to get hard, that's when we begin to doubt and ask questions. No one questions God on a sunny day, but in the middle of a thunderstorm on a deep, dark night, you question what he might be doing right now. Maybe you're like Habakkuk, and you've prayed for things for years that you haven't received an answer on. Maybe you're like him, and you're just in this middle of this dark patch of your life, and you're asking, will it ever end? Will I ever see the light of day again? Remember, we said that our doubts can lead us to go to God or to run away from Him. Habakkuk chooses to take his doubts and he throws them before God in the following verses. He says, I'm going to choose to have faith in God, not flee from Him. You see, our present circumstances, they should lead us to be honest with God. And that's what our next point is, honest with God. We're going to capture these last few verses together. Beginning in verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and will you not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk writes these words and 
Maybe you can feel his confusion here, right? You can feel his frustration. You can hear his pain in those words because he's struggling right now. Things are hard. He's bringing all his questions before God and saying, God, if you are who you say you are, why is this happening? Habakkuk is being honest with God. He is simply proclaiming this truth that there are some big questions I've got, God. How long will we suffer? Why are we experiencing this? What is the matter with this world and your creation? Frankly, as he lists some of these issues, I I think that we might feel like they fit in our world today, right? He's in the midst of a collapsing economy. He's seen social injustice being proclaimed. He's experiencing violence and difficulty and distress. There's a complete disregard for God's word and his commands. That might sound familiar because I think you could take Habakkuk and drop him into 2023 and he would say, been there, done that. His biggest issue, the biggest issue he's struggling with, the thing he's wrestling with is that he looks at the world. He looks at the world. He sees what's happening. And he asks, why does it look this way? Why does it look like this if you are who you say you are, God? God, if you're there, if you can hear me, then why is this happening? It looked like things were going to finally go our way. We had a good king who loved you. We had a country that was turning back to you. Things were going well, and it's just gotten worse. I recognize that it might be an uncomfortable question to look at because for so many of us, we have this tendency to take doubt and we almost equate it to sin. We say things like, well, I shouldn't doubt because that would lead me away from God. And that's just not true. We look at the Bible. The Bible actually never condemns sin in any way. The only time it offers condemnation about doubt is when a person begins to lie about their doubt. You've seen those sections of Scripture like James where he talks about being double-minded. That's what the writer of James is pointing to. That it's okay to doubt. Just be honest about your doubts before God. Don't sit here and say, I believe he's going to do something and in your mind going, there ain't no way he's going to pull this off. It's what Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no's, right? The truth is, is that we experience doubts and we can be open and honest about them. You know, this summer, we took a family vacation to the beach in North Carolina, and I don't know if you've ever been to to a beach that has the flags they put up, right? Uh, They put the yellow flags up, and it's like, hey, you need to watch out today. They put the double yellow flags up, like you really need to pay attention. They put the red flags up, and it's between you and God. You better make sure things are good before you get in that water, like it's a bad day. We're out there, and consistently, over the course of the week, they have the double yellow flags up. And you might think, well, that's not that big a deal, right? It's just some waves. It's not that big a deal. One day we go out there and the double yellow flags are up. And let me tell you, those waves were hitting hard. Out there for 20 minutes with Perry. And I'm thinking, I'm exhausted. You know, I watched Perry getting tumbled halfway across the ocean thinking, good Lord, I'm going to lose him. Like, this is terrible. He gets his goggles knocked off and he's like, I'm done. This is horrible. I can't be in this water. Like, we got to go somewhere. 
And so we go back to the rental house we're at, and as I'm on the balcony looking out at these waves just crashing in over the, over the shore, wind whipping all the tents around, and you can just look out and you can see the ocean go for miles and miles and miles. In that moment, I was confronted with the reality that the ocean is large and powerful. And as I consider that, I recognize that God is also large and powerful. I became uniquely aware of my position before the ocean because how could I stop the power of the wind and waves? How could I hem in the edges of the ocean? Miles and miles of water crashing on the shore and there's nothing I could do to stop it. I could barely stand up in it. And as I consider that, I'm confronted with the reality that that is God in comparison to us. He is so large and powerful. He is so mighty and strong. And who are we? We're small. We're weak. We're powerless. Yet this great God of the universe chooses to love the weak, the frail, and the powerless. You see, that image of God is what we need when we confront our problems and our doubts and our struggles. We encounter them. And when we look upon our struggles, our doubts and concerns, and then look to a God who is so large and so powerful that he can set the boundaries of the ocean and the sun and the stars, he can do anything. You see, we encounter our struggles. And when we look to this God, this real image of God, through those troubles and trials, we begin to be aware of how great and powerful God is. I dare say our problems, our doubts, our struggles begin to become bearable, and sometimes we even find joy as we go through them. This is the incredible truth about doubt, that we are welcome to experience it. We are welcome to navigate through it. But when we encounter doubts, when we compare them to the majesty of who God is, they look weak and frail and powerless. Habakkuk is not there yet. He's beginning to cry out to God. He's laying his doubts out before him. And simply put, he's just being honest about where he's at right now. He's being very honest and open about his difficulties, his doubts, his concerns. You see, God values our honesty with him and with others, especially when it comes to the struggles of our faith. Habakkuk could have written things that were great. He could have said, everything is peachy here in Judah. Yeah, Josiah's dead, but you know what? God's still God, right? Those things, like those weird things called emotions and feelings, I don't have to deal with those, right? I'm just going to take a happy pill and thing is good, right? I don't need to acknowledge this. He chose not to do that. He could have written that he understood everything God was doing in this moment, but he didn't write that. Rather, he wrote of his pain. He wrote of his sorrow. He wrote about the difficulty he was experiencing in seeing this plan that his creator has made for his people. And Habakkuk is being very honest saying, God, this is your plan and I don't get it. I really don't understand. 
we have a tendency to look down upon that in Christian circles, that we say doubt is something to be feared or it is not good. But I want us to understand something. The book of the Psalms, we go through it every summer, and God willing, we're going to continue to look at the book of Psalms every single summer. About a third of the Psalms are songs of prayers, uh, songs of, and prayers of lament. That is, about a third of the Psalms are things where the writers, David and other men, are proclaiming to God, it is a messed up world that we live in. And God, I am hurting right now. Things aren't going the way I want them to. And I'm just, it's hard. I'm experiencing difficulty and struggle. You read through the Psalms and you recognize that the writers of the Psalms did not think that everything was just peachy and good. No, they proclaim very clearly that things are hard, things are challenging, and we get to bring that before God. Just consider this fact, that in the Bible, there are literal prayers of anguish and pain. God in His perfect sovereign majesty said, my people need to experience these emotions. They need to hear how we wrestle with them. They need to see people at their worst to recognize that I am their best. We have this horrible tendency to try and come to God only when we're happy and we've got it all figured out. We want to put the stained glass masquerade on saying everything's peachy and it's wonderful and it's good, but inside... We're hurting. We're experiencing pain and troubles. And if we would just be honest with someone for a moment, we might lay those out before them. I just want you to understand that we can come to God when we're broken and helpless. We can come to God when we're beaten down and when we're struggling. We don't have to put on an act before Him saying, God, everything is great because... It's not always great. We don't have to come to him and say, God, I'm sorry that I feel this way because the truth is God knows why we feel this way. He's a God who understands every struggle we deal with and empathizes with them. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't tell us to just try harder. He doesn't tell us that we need to get over it. He simply says, you can feel what you need to feel. And when you're ready to talk to me, here. You see Habakkuk is beginning to wrestle through this and I think what we see here in these verses is Habakkuk beginning to use his doubts and his grief and using that to begin to worship and praise God. Yes, I, I would believe that our doubts and our fears, our struggles and concerns, we can use those to worship and to praise God. See, Habakkuk is beginning to worship God even as he's expressing his doubts about God's plan. The reason is, is because Habakkuk's doubts, they are motivated by his belief in who God is. He knows that God is a good God. He's a good God who loves his people. He's a good God who called his people out of slavery into freedom. He's a good God who has made his glorious name known by bringing people from death to life, out of darkness into light. 
Every story you look at that the people of Israel would have celebrated, it's God coming to rescue His people yet again. Habakkuk's doubts are founded in this idea that he's saying, if God is this good and this glorious, and I look at this world and it's this broken and sinful, I'm just confused, right? Like if God is this good, then why isn't this world perfect? Why isn't this world good? Why isn't everything going well for us? He says this doesn't line up with God's character. Rather than lie about it, rather than just say things are going well and I completely am okay with what God's doing, he calls out to this good God. And he says, when, O Lord, when will you make all things right once again? If you are who you say you are, then when are you going to restore your broken world into its intended way? That is worship. That is worship from a person who is beginning to wrestle with doubts and brokenness, going forth and proclaiming, you know, if God is who he says he is, then he's going to do something about this. So when, O oh Lord, will you make things right? would argue that this moment is, is a crossroads moment for Habakkuk and for us. You see, Habakkuk allowed his doubts to, to lead him, to drive him to faith in God. It's a really good sign of his relationship with God because he's going to him to speak to him about these hard things. I know that sounds strange, but when you're looking at relationships, right, any conversation is good conversation. The truth is that if you're communicating and talking to one another, not talking about one another, things are going well, right? If you're talking to one another, then there is a chance for health. And that's what Habakkuk is doing. He's not walking around going, you know, this God is a dumpster. He's a piece of trash. I mean, he wouldn't do anything about our brokenness. No, he's going around going, this God is a good God. And I know that my present circumstances, they don't really play out to being something good. But if he is who he says he is, then these present circumstances will get better. These present circumstances have an answer for me one day. I can rest in this truth that he is good and he will make all things right once again. Habakkuk's not looking for a simple or easy answer. He's not looking for something that is just a glib statement of, you know, you just got to believe. No, he's wrestling with the very heart of who God is and what he wants to do in this world. I said that this is a crossroads moment simply because we have come to a place where we must make a decision. We have come to a place where we are confronted with a decision. We can continue... We can continue to pretend that we have no doubts. We can continue to pretend that we never stumble. We can continue to pretend that we have it all together all the time. We can continue to say that we've got everything together. Or, or we can just admit that it is exhausting, exhausting to pretend that it's all okay. 
We can simply say that it's exhausting to continue to play church and pretend like we've got it all together. Because here's the truth of this situation. As I look around this room, I recognize that I know some of the things that you're struggling with. And I would just simply ask this question, knowing what you're wrestling with and struggling with, why are you pretending you've got it all together? Because it ain't a secret of what you're dealing with. I, as one of your pastors, know what you're struggling with. And if I, a human man, can know that, how much more does God, the omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe, know what you're struggling with? Why would you bother to hide that when God can take these moments of doubt, of fear, of concern, and sorrow and use those for His good? You see, we're at a crossroads because we've got to choose a path to take. We can continue to walk this road of we've got it all together. We're going to pretend that everything's fine. Or we can choose the second path of simply acknowledging we've got doubts, we've got fears, we've got concerns, but we trust that God is good and He is going to answer our struggles, our doubts, and our fears. If we take the first path, that we're going to pretend that it's all together, you're going to feel self-empowered, but you're ultimately going to end up me-focused, that the whole thing's about you. You're going to hit hard patches and difficult days. And rather than look to God, you're just going to try harder. As you're going through, if I can use this word, hell, you're going to say, everything's great. The house is on fire, but I've got it together, right? Everything's good. You'll just put everything you've got into beating and moving through those hard moments. And it is going to consume you leaving you hopeless and broken. On this path, you'll never once place your eyes on Jesus. Instead, you'll flee from him because you're trying to bear a burden that you were never meant to carry. But if we take the second path, the narrow path, as Jesus calls it, you're going to feel weak and insufficient. You're going to encounter troubles and you won't be strong enough to get through them. You will not be capable enough to navigate their way. You simply cannot overcome those on your own. But as you keep your eyes upon Jesus in these moments, you'll find that you begin to find your way a little bit better. You have a little more pep in your step. These problems perhaps begin to fade a bit in light of the heavenly places. You'll trust that you don't have all the answers. You never will, actually. But you'll rest that God delights in showing His mercy to His people. And you'll rest and trust in the fact that He is a good God who has always been with His people. You see, on this path, you are completely ruined, and solely dependent upon Him. Yet in that surrender, you have found life, you have found peace and comfort. 
Our doubts can lead us to faith in God or they can cause us to flee from God. Where are your doubts taking you today? I don't want to say something glib like you should just put your doubts aside and focus on God and worship Him today because that's frankly stupid. God doesn't want your doubts to be put aside, the struggles to lay it aside and just say that, hey, God, I've got these problems and I don't want you to worry about them because I'm just coming here for you. No. God says, come to me with your struggles. Come to me with your burdens. Come to me and lay them down at the foot of the cross and kneel down beside them. And as I minister to you, I will care for these burdens and struggles. Where are your doubts taking you today? Are they leading you to faith in God by trusting in this crucified Savior who bore the wrath of our sin and shame upon the cross, who took all the wrath that God could ever have on Himself so that we might have life in Him? Or is it leading you to flee from God, trusting in your own power, your own strength, Trusting that you are capable of all things. My prayer is that as you look at your doubts, your struggles, your fear, that it will drive you to faith in Jesus. It will drive you to trust in your Lord and Savior for this moment and the next and the next until He calls you home. Today, this is what you have the opportunity to choose at this crossroads. You can choose faith in Jesus or you can choose to flee from Him. But rest assured, no matter who you are, no matter where you're at in this journey, you are going to make a choice today. You'll choose to have faith or you'll choose to flee. My prayer is that you will choose to have faith in a good God who loves His people. And that's what I'm going to pray for you today. In the next few moments, I'll pray for you. You'll have a time to just silently go to God with the things you're struggling with. And then I'll pray for us to conclude and our worship team will lead us in one final song, a well-chosen song of turning our eyes to Jesus. And so if you're here struggling with doubts and concerns, don't keep them inside. Don't say that they'll get better, but simply trust that if you put them before the Lord, if you rest in His goodness and grace, He will see you through to the end. So if I may, could I pray for you as we continue our time of worship through song? Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? we come to you with struggles, doubts, concerns. Father, even as I consider how to pray for us, Lord, I I find it hard to find words to express the difficulties and struggles that some of our people are experiencing. And Lord, into this, I rest in the fact that 
because the Spirit dwells inside of us that even when I don't have the words to say, you have the right words to proclaim, Lord. The Spirit is interceding on our behalf so that whatever it is we're wrestling with, whatever struggles we're dealing with, Lord, they are before you. And even now, Jesus is interceding on our behalf, proclaiming to you of our need and his redemption he's provided. So Lord, today as we bring our doubts, our struggles, our fears, our anxieties, all these things that we're wrestling with, Lord, my prayer is that we would bring them before you. We would not cast them aside and simply pick them up as we walk out from here, Lord, but we would come to you with them. We would proclaim of our great need and of our greater Savior, the one who has paid for our stead of sin and shame, who has declared us who trust in him righteous for all time. Lord, that Savior has proclaimed that our doubts and fears are acceptable to him. That they can be offered to him and he'll carry that burden for us. And the burden that he gives back to us is light. It is the cloak of righteousness. It is rest and assurance that for all of our days, he is God and he is good. So Father, whatever it is we're wrestling with, can we bring those before you and trust that you have an answer for them? Can we trust that you're a God whose name still saves, whose blood still has power to redeem, and will never once fail us? So Lord, in this time of worship, as we sing of your great love, would you move in a mighty way in our hearts and minds? Show us the power of the gospel. Transform us so that we might never be the same, Lord. Father, we are grateful for you. We're thankful for your grace and mercy. We pray these things in your name. Amen.